Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are there any paranormal shows on television that are actually worth watching? Is there any truth to claims of man-made objects found in rock strata that were formed millions of years before humans are supposed to have existed? Hello, and welcome... Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, one more. I'm I'm sorry. That's all right. Could companies or governments really be in league with parasites? Well, sorry for interrupting you, and welcome to the 702nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno uh, here on ON1240, celebrating 70 years of broadcasting in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. I'm Ben, and those rocky questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad, Paul. And today we bring you an open line show to address many paranormal questions submitted by listeners. And we welcome your calls. Numbers are 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada or uh, 401-766-1240 locally here in Northern Rhode Island. And we'll also monitor emails, paul at behindtheparanormal.com for those. Hmm. Okay. Well, we're very sorry to say that uh, Shane Searway, who is our, our, uh, always our guest co-host on these open line shows is not with us today we ask for prayers and good thoughts and love sent his way because uh there's a an illness in his family that he has to take care of and uh where our thoughts are certainly with with shane indeed and he'll be back on our next open line show i'm sure uh so why don't we begin then with uh before we start taking our emails and and things with a report on our latest journey to the Pennsylvania Triangle, which occurred last weekend, and uh, we did so unannounced so that, um, well, we, we don't like to put out too much information in advance. So, uh, where do we begin? Now, unfortunately, because of this situation in his family, Shane was not able to join us. That's the first, this is our third expedition there since last year. It's a new case. Uh, so I guess we spent a grand total of about six days so far in the area, and lots more to go. Shane was unable to join us because of this, but it was Ben's first trip out there because we Baby's have a, first trip. Yes, right. <laughs> we have a certain order to these things that that, that comply with our theories and methods, and uh, this was the time for Ben to come in on this and and do his uh, special thing. Uh, he has, uh, we feel, uh, abilities in this direction that we don't have, and we all kind of complement each other. We like to think. So uh, we headed out there, and again, this is in western Pennsylvania, and we were um, actually, it was important that we we sort of push the envelope this time. So we spent the the evening, anyway, in an area where Shane had had his first experience there, which was apparently a Bigfoot sighting. And uh, I don't know how much you want to get into what happened to you there, Ben, but... uh, I don't. Okay, all right. Uh, for a later date. Yes. You're driving everybody nuts, but I, I understand how you feel on that. So uh, I have my reasons. So we went up to the field uh, where I had my experience in September of 2016, but unfortunately the local... Uh, young people decided that they were going to do a late 4th of July. So we enjoyed watching fireworks, but it was the worst possible scenario for any sort of observation. Uh, I guess observation. technically we did see lights in the sky. Well, we did, yes, indeed, but uh, eminently explainable. Yes. So the first stage of our, we call it CNO, consultation and observation, consultation with witnesses and observation of our own to uh, come to an opinion about whether people are actually experiencing something. Uh, that stage uh, is over. We are convinced that's, that this is uh, a genuinely paranormal flap area, as we call it. And so uh, Ben sort of did his thing uh, out there. We'll talk about that in due course or write about it, maybe add it to our our current book. The 
we were unable really because Shane was not with us. We were unable to. Um, we didn't have the manpower. We didn't have the manpower really to do it, and and we did, we uh, didn't do the observations we wanted. However, we are planning another trip, uh, which will be longer, at least an extra day, uh, in which Shane can accompany us, and we're going to just continue with that. We obtained some very interesting video footage and photos. Did we send that to um, our our guy yet? Uh, Mark D'Antonio, yeah. uh, actually, he's looked at the one with the string of lights, yeah. but I'm going to send him the originals because that, that's actually part of a video. Right. So I just I've been a little bit tied up with deadlines, uh, publication deadlines. Oh, I, was, week, so. I was just curious. Oh no, definitely Mark's going to see. He knows it's coming too. Uh, there was a very interesting uh, video of um, a of down in the the clearing area where Shane had had his sighting, and I was sort of panning. I I really must learn how to do cinematography that's not like the Blair Witch Project. Or like you're wielding a lightsaber. Yes, where you need Dramamine when you're watching (laughs) the thing. So, but I kind of panned to the right, and there was something moving there. Rather, It looked as though it was almost right in front of the camera, and I want Mark to look at that. Uh, There was no wind. It was very silent, not even an insect or a bird, which is very odd in the woods at that time. That was weird, yeah. It would sort of come out of nowhere, too. Like, one minute we'd be talking to a couple of the locals, and then it would just be quiet. Yeah, and there was some tree banging, because that that could be... That could be anything, but it was pretty loud. Yeah. And uh, as as I panned to the right, there seemed to be a large head sort of moving against the background but that needs to be checked and then panning farther to the right there's a figure that appears to walk out of the woods however it's it, uh, it was ben sadly because I, I look back i look back you were really excited when you were but i looked back, i always make careful notes of what what i'm pointing the camera at when i'm pointing at what the, what the conditions were etc cetera, etc cetera. this was an infrared camera yeah so uh the um the offspring came uh walking uh Sadly, well, out, of, I mean, out of the woods. The thing is, we should acquire if if we ever get get the chance or the funding of some sort to get better camera equipment. Because well, this is actually a very good. It doesn't look it, but it's a very good camera. But you're right. We do need better equipment. I we, couldn't we make out anything without having sort of to like thing. brighten up everything and right, it's right, to right. be infrared. Yes, yes. So we yeah, well, we need uh, some better equipment uh, as we go. I don't know anybody. Throw it on a wish list and we'll field. come back Yes, to who doesn't uh, want better equipment. Uh, so that, that was, um, however, there, there was in the video a string of lights uh, over by a road where such lights have been seen frequently. They weren't in the sky. They can be seen on our Facebook page, show Facebook page, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I think that's like the only, not the only thing, one, one of the, the few. So far, that's, that's uh, I think, one of the few uh, or... Really, the, the the best candidate for an anomalous photograph that we have from that trip. Yes. Okay. So uh, again, uh, question of parking lot lights. I mean, I mean, getting it there. There's no such location there. It's rural. It's uh, there's there are no hills visible. You're down in a wooded clearing, and the people have seen lights like that with the naked eye coming up out of. And there are other photos. So uh, <clears throat> I think that may be the best candidate. But we'll keep you posted on that case and uh, what progress we're making on it. Uh, if any. And our, our thanks again to the folks in the area. We did have a neighborhood meeting, as we did in September, and this was your first attendance at one. Yes. And uh, we had about 10 people, maybe a little less than last time, but everyone... What, what struck me, Ben, and I'm sure what struck you as well, was uh, among the people who were reporting their experiences was a little nine-year-old girl, very, very sweet child, uh, who was crying uh, because... Um, she was so frightened by her experience, and she didn't really know us, 
and could not bring herself to talk about it. But she supposedly had a, a Bigfoot sighting uh, that was quite dramatic, and uh, hope next time she'll be able to uh, to come about. And, I mean, and talk you know, to us about it. When you're when you're a kid and you're trying to understand the world around you, and you know, it's kind of like what you're supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to just learn. You know, um, as a kid, something that shakes up you know your perception of reality really really scares the heck out of you no that happened to you oh yeah yeah for sure many times you know it it's i think understanding as a, as a kid is hard because you're you're taught one thing at school and you're taught another thing by your parents and you're taught you know all over the place and you learn you learn stuff as you go but when something you know comes out of out of you know the blue that you haven't learned about like you know that's scary that's well, I really got news scary. for you. It's just as difficult as an older adult. No, I know. Unless I'm, you're a self-satisfied idiot. Well, duh. I know. Yeah. I know that. But what I'm saying is, you know, I don't blame the girl for not wanting to talk. You know, oh, I understand. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I wasn't going to force her to. It was like, this girl doesn't want to talk to us. She doesn't want to talk to us. There's one, no one, one of the adults in the area who uh, we know, you know, as well as we know anyone else there almost, uh, is reluctant to talk to us about her experiences as well. Yeah, and again, these are examples of people. You know, all too often today, and this is pointed out in our book. I think it was Richard Freeman and and uh, certainly Rick Red, uh, Nick Redfern talked about how people in the old days, uh, also Susan Shepard, people in the old days, being like the '60s and '70s, did not want publicity for this. They were afraid, especially if they were in a prof- professional position, as were many of the. Uh, professional people and police officers in the Mothman experiences of the 1960s in, in the Ohio Valley didn't want people to know that they had had these experiences because they were afraid of being laughed at or having their credibility harmed in some other way. Yeah. But today, there are all too many people who want a TV show and they think they can make money from this. And very rarely someone does. We're certainly not among them <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, as far as any ma- making money is concerned. But people are um, less reluctant to talk about it. And when, when they are reluctant, to me, that adds credibility to their story because they, they, they're, they didn't want to have these experiences, but they did. Or something that they believed was a paranormal experience. So uh, I, I kind of, that kind of adds uh, credibility to people as far as I'm concerned if they're reluctant to talk about it. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. All right. Well, why don't we go to our emails? We have one, uh, the first one here is Rick from Lyle, Illinois. Okie doke. Rick writes to us, ahem, uh, in your opinion, what's the best or least, uh, or, or at least, uh, what's the best or at least the most tolerable paranormal show on TV right now? Everything I see is so fake and so scripted, it's laughable, and the fact that some people believe this stuff is amazing to me. Um, there's a second part of the question. So okay, well, why don't we do the, deal with okay. the first one? I figured. Uh, I was hoping Shane would be here to, to answer this. Uh, however, because I don't watch these shows, I think it's, I, I, I have better things to do. However, I've been told that I should because, you know, just to keep up with what's going on and the alleged, uh, you know, research that's going on. I in think, the field. I think, I think the best, this is going to sound, you know, really weird. Um, it's not on TV per se, but it's it's like a it's on um, you, you can find it on the internet. BuzzFeed does this thing; it's called BuzzFeed Unsolved, hmm. and they do um, they do a lot of different entertaining things. And they like like they it's these two guys. One guy who's like really open to the idea of the paranormal and stuff, and this guy who's who's incredibly skeptical and just makes fun of the other guy. It's really funny. It's it, hmm. but it's also very informative, if not you know for. 
it's it's not like they're going out in search of, uh, in in search of like you know ghosts and stuff. They do do that, like the whole EVP crap. They do that, but yeah. it's it's they learn more about the history of places and how like the really weird stories behind it and stuff. It's really entertaining, and I I oh. think it's I think it's you know it's kind of cool in a historical point of view. I just I don't think there's really any anything else that I can think of that can compare to that entertainment wise because you know it's. It's it's goofy, it's funny, but it's also informative, like from a historical standpoint, as opposed to you know, oh, we're gonna we're gonna set up cameras and get spooked by every noise, like that kind yeah. of thing. So I mean, you know, I think that comes comes close to being having some sort of value. Oh, so okay, all right, uh, that's that's fine. Uh, I guess we should point out it, it's not just cable TV that has all these programs. It's, no, uh, no, no. I think the internet. I think as the, well. the the age of cable TV is dying. Um, for for many reasons, mostly because you know it's it's too expensive. You know, there's there's no there's no point. You can get the same mm. exact stuff if you just stream it online. But there's mm. you know there's all sorts of there's all sorts of different media outlets now, and I I there's all sorts of different mediums too. Do you think it's a it's a concern that there is more supposedly at least more quality control on something like a cable? show that is produced by a real production company or on a radio show i like to think like this that's on terrestrial radio as opposed to anything goes on the internet i mean do you feel that there's an issue of quality control with that move over to the internet i think it depends because um you know i know i know some people who who i went to went to school with who ended up going going to work for various news and journalism sites like buzzfeed and um you know they were they cared a lot about their work, and they mm-hmm. they cared a lot about their product. And I think, I think the problem with um, I, I'm not going to say say radio because I think radio is a great medium still. But the thing with cable TV is their whole goal is to make money, and um, you know they're not necessarily pursuing a project that they that they enjoy a personal project that they care about. They're just like, all right, well, how can we make something marketable and entertaining that Ads will, you know, that we can we can sell to in, investors and get ads for that and be able to make money off it. So the goal really becomes it, it gets taken out of the creator's hands and put into the hands of you know the the company itself. So I don't know. Um, take your run of the mill ghost show. Usually that's that's on a network that's geared towards um, uh, young younger adults. Pref, this something uh, you know, y- younger adults like my age around there, so like, but they're like eighteen to twenty-ish range, maybe younger. And you know, the the goal is they're trying to you know sell products, so they entice you in with a ghost show, and then they show show you ads and stuff to sell products. So the goal of the show isn't you know that they're searching for answers. The goal of the show is to you know um, sell sell you stuff. So I I think that there's there's an element of quality control in that you know there there's more of a rigid format to it but I think with the internet you it's you know it's a double edged sword you can have someone who cares intensely about a project like um our our good our good friend Ale- Alexander Petikoff mm. who he cares so much that he you know he'll put time effort all sorts of stuff into a project that he cares about you know, it's not you know he he introduced me to a lot of different um, um, like production companies like small small town monsters 
and stuff that, you know, they, they produce documentaries about, you know, small town monsters. And it almost got picked up. He was telling me a story that the guy who, the guy he knows who owns that production company almost got picked up by a major network. And he was like, they were like, well, we'll, we'll buy you out uh, under the condition that, you know, it's just, it's going to be purely entertainment. And the idea, I guess, of the show was some Scooby-Doo-like thing, some stupid teenagers running around to town. <laughs> and like, you know, it just, it just took all the seriousness out of it. And the guy was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So yeah. he, so he still owns this company to this day. And, you know, he produces things he cares about. And the only way to really get seen now is, you know, on the internet, whether it's through, you know, different, um, like film circuits and stuff like that, but you know, you, there's no other way because cable TV is just—it's just so like locked tight that yeah. you, you can't—you can't get anything real or legitimate in there because the whole point is to sell stuff. Well, we know that. Well, yeah, firsthand several times. Yeah, so I mean, I think, like I said, you know, people can make utter garbage and throw it on the internet, but you know, there's people who really care, yeah, and really try and have a product that they really want to show you mm-hmm. that that they that they truly care about. So what is Rick's uh, second question? Rick's second question is, um, I re- recently subscribed to, subscribed to Gaia TV and was saddened to see that there uh, was only one show on there which you made an appearance with George Nury. Uh, I'm actually surprised that you and Ben don't have your own show on there by now. Are there any talks of something like this? Oh, well, this is not the usual question we get. Uh, actually, I was, on, I was on two shows with George Nuri, uh, when they fly you down there, you make two shows back to back. So I don't know when they aired the other one. I, I don't really pay much attention to our, when we were in the media, strangely enough. So there are two. Uh, yeah, I suppose you could find them in there somewhere. Uh, with there's always something going on, some kind of proposal for us to do something on TV. This goes back to, to 2010. Uh, the trouble is that everybody seems to be interested in the Litchfield, Connecticut triangle as we call it the flap area and uh, something from outside always quashes it not to be paranoid but it's very suspicious because uh, this has happened twice um th- there have been all kinds of odd things going on with that and then uh, if anything does get through the networks come back and say in so many words you're you're too intelligent so i, I, su- I suppose that's kind of a backhanded compliment but we don't have our TV show uh, yet. Uh, there was currently a project in mind um, from a, a producer we know pretty well out in California who was thinking of uh, doing a scripted uh, show based on our cases. Uh, but there's, uh, I really can't say any more about that at this point. Yeah. So th- there are things being discussed, uh, and I am on George's show twice. Uh, ben has not been with me on that because I guess it's expensive to fly two people out as opposed to one. So... <laughs> Um, True. Yeah, we're um, you know, buy one get one, but not for free. So <laughs> anyway, so that's uh, probably the best answer to that question. Uh, who's next there, Ben? Uh, we have Marley from Blackstone, Massachusetts, and she writes to us: How do you explain machine parts and other man-made things that are fossilized in very old rock, like the gear wheel found in Rus- in a Russian coal mine that must have been thirty million years old? Okay. That we've had done shows on this, but not for a long time. We had Michael Cremo, who is an author on this sub- very subject, um, sort of you know, sort of unacceptable archaeology or that sort of thing. We uh, haven't had him on in a while, actually. We have, and a matter of fact, I've been thinking about having him back on. I think we should just get an update. Yeah, because he's really interesting. Mostly, very interesting. Mostly very, very, because, you know, he sort of got shunned by the archaeological community. Well, precisely. Well, this is the problem. You know, so- science is... An, I don't claim to be a scientist, neither does Ben. I mean, we are, we, our degrees are in other fields, but yes. we, 
cannot help but notice that, that the problem isn't necessarily science with, with its disciplined thinking, which is very important in any uh, regard, uh, but sometimes scientists. And it seems to me that scientists are supposed to question doctrine, not guard it, you know, and push the envelope when they can. And <clears throat> science is not a religion. It, it's, it's meant to expand and to, and to grow and to uh, become uh, more... Uh, encompassing i suppose hmm. so <clears throat> that that uh, <clears throat> creates a problem when you have something like this this uh archaeology that is just not accepted now now one of the problems and this has been going on for hundreds of years uh particularly in quarries and mines where you're digging down into rock strata that is as as the the questioner asked it points out is 30 million 300 million years old 400 million years old now <clears throat> in this particular instance in a coal mine in Russia, uh, and in many other instances, no scientists have been present. Okay, this was not an official archaeological dig. People just found things. The same is true for things that are even older than this. Uh, fossils that I've seen in the past, uh, there's, there's one that is of a trilobite, which was about 500 million years ago, uh, one of the first um, multi-celled creatures that was like a, a distant ancestor of the horseshoe crab today, even kind of looked like it. And in this fossil, there's not only the trilobite, there, uh, there are lots of fossils of them. There is apparently a human foot wearing a shoe that is stepping on the trilobite. Now, I, am, I don't know. It, it's very often creationists, people who... I believe in a little literal interpretation of the Bible that they don't really know anything. I, I don't think they know a lot about the Bible in the first place when they interpret it. But uh, they say, oh, well, the earth really is 6,000 years old and there were people at the same time as dinosaurs. I mean, they're, they're, I, I don't have any... I don't uh, think that's, yes, that's but I correct. don't think people were wearing leather shoes. No, no. Well, this is more like a sandal, but <clears throat> nevertheless. So you have very strange, strange oddities out there among not only fossils, but also among these um, machine parts that seem to be found in very ridiculously old rock strata. There are some theories about how they might have gotten there other than having been there 300 million years ago, but uh, I don't know if those are very credible. Um, I've seen a lot of these things. Uh, I, I suppose that there is... Um, uh, the best one can say is that uh, history, in our opinion, and there's, uh, I think, I think there's overwhelming evidence for this. History is cyclical; it's not linear. In other words, you know, people think generally we started out in caves and got more and more uh, became more and more uh, geniuses uh, until we uh, reached the pinnacle of, of common sense and intellect that we have today. Uh, take that as you will. But uh, <clears throat> instead, uh, you know, that was in a straight line. But instead, it seems that um, as many indigenous peoples, Native Americans included, will tell you, we've gone from, as it were, stone tools to power tools at least as many as four times in the history of the human race. And as we very often point out in the show, we have at least a million, probably two million years of human history that we know nothing about. I mean, there's plenty of evidence that modern people, as we know it, existed up to two million years ago. Uh, fossils have been found in South America to that effect. And what happened in all that time? A thousand or two thousand civilizations could rise and fall in a million years, never mind two million. Mm. And uh, these may be the results of those. Uh, carbon dating is difficult uh, for these things because carbon dating is meant to test uh, organic material. So in other words, you could go to a place like um, 
America's Stonehenge, as it's called, in New Hampshire, uh, very mysterious rocks and all this, and you can test uh, carbon from the charcoal of, from old campfires, uh, or you can test uh, the remnants of uh, any animal fat that was used, if there is any remnant of it, that was used in sacrificial ceremonies, something like that. But you can't test rocks for their age. You generally judge by the stratum, in w- the strata in which they're located, which is, in other words, the farther down you go in the earth, the older the soil or the rock will be. That's a general rule. So <clears throat> I think there may be certainly something to this. Um, again, I've seen these some of these things myself, and I think that um, that needs to be considered. As we always say, it's the first day of school. Uh, whether there were uh, in advanced uh, civilizations in the past is one question, but certainly I think we've come around the bend several times. The evidence from uh, that we point out in uh, Behind the Paranormal One uh, came out last year. The uh, apparent uh, places like Mohenjo-Dara, where you have uh, vivid evidence of some huge uh, heat that occurred, and, and one can only think a nuclear explosion because you've got the same greenish glass sand that was been fused by heat, uh, as you have at the ground zero at some of the um, New Mexico test sites. You have uh, buildings that apparently were melted by some sort of tremendous heat, and this is thousands of years ago. You've got crazily radioactive skeletons that were not buried, just lying there. Uh, it looks like the whole city was fried by a nuclear explosion mm. three, two to 3,000 years ago. Uh, there, is, there is overwhelming evidence in folklore and uh, poetry and literature that something like this occurred. So maybe it did. So, again, uh, we don't know anything. We are, as, as Graham Hancock says, we are a species with amnesia. Mm. So all this is very, very possible. That's our opinion there, Marley. I don't know if that's what you wanted, but that's, that's what we think. Who's next there, Ben? Next is... Oh, next is our break, actually. Oh, actually, yes, you are correct. Aha. Uh-huh. Usually you're the one who catches me on that. That's because I was anyway. waiting for the next question. Right. Okay, so you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Open lines today on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley, broadcasting for the 70th year. Congrats to ON 1240. We'll be right back. Hey, Dave Goss here, and I hope you'll join us as we celebrate the life and music of one of the masters in music, the incomparable David Sanborn hero of the alto saxophone. Check out DaveCos.com during the week to get all the details and be here this weekend for a very special edition of the Dave Cos Radio Show. Hi, smooth jazz fans. The Dave Cos Radio Show can only be heard on ON 1240, WON, Socket Radio every Sunday, twice on Sundays, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. and then 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. The Dave Cos Radio Show is brought to you by the Carew Investment Group, 68 Cumberland Street, Plaza Center, Suite 202 in Woonsocket. The Dave Cos Radio Show right here on Owen Radio. Okay, and we're back behind the <coughs> excuse me, behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno Eno here on ON twelve forty. And we have our open line show today, very sadly without our usual guest co host Shane Sayway, but Shane will be back for our next open line show, I'm sure. Uh best of luck to him in his family situation there with his with his dad. Uh okay, so what do we got next there, Ben? We have Chuck uh, from Newport, Rhode Island, writing to us. I heard Paul on the Travel Channel 
uh, uh, talking about how thing things like suits of armor can be possessed. Uh, they didn't give much. Uh, they didn't give you much time to talk about it. So, what is a consciousness wave, and how can you tell if something in your house is haunted? Well, that's an interesting question, Chuck. Uh, especially you're you're from Newport, and that's where that was. That's where that was filmed. That was a long time ago. I think that was O2 when we made that production. Uh, I remember the producer was, I, I think the show was Curses of New England. Yeah, it was. And the, uh, we filmed it in the, the old historic, one of the old historic cemeteries there in Newport, naturally. And the producer was quite miffed because of my interpretation of these paranormal events. There were certain cases that she would, uh, that the, the um, interviewer would suggest, and I would interpret them according to our point of view, our theories and methods, as opposed to the 19th century spiritualist kind. And, they, and the, the producer was not entirely pleased with that. She wanted, as Ben would say, spooky, scary skeletons. Okay. Mm. <clears throat> anyway, so I think that uh, what we were talking about, Belcourt Castle. Uh, Mrs. Tinney's uh, place among the Newport mansions there, and uh, she has a number of things that have come down in her family that uh, are on display at Belcourt Castle in Newport, and they are quite interesting, one of which is a suit of armor that supposedly is haunted. Uh, and I was talking a little bit on the show about how this can happen. And it was not about, uh, you know, the ghost of somebody uh, inhabiting the suit of armor or, the, or whatever. Uh, in, in our opinion, you have uh, more physics involved, but it's just it's, it's a lot weirder than the superstition. A consciousness wave uh, seems to be a, a, a wave, uh, I always picture it in terms of a, um, a vinyl record, say, the, the old vinyl records that are coming back. Uh, if you have a record like this, picture it radiating it out from a center, which would be this, would, would, would be the consciousness, uh, perhaps the group consciousness, the, uh, uh, consciousness of, of, uh, all of us together, the whole biosphere, because we don't think there's really any, because our consciousnesses are not separate from other people's. And, uh, uh radiating out from this, you have, a kind of like a vinyl record sort of thing with lumps in it, say, for lack of a better uh, analogy, things that, that, that we know people that we know, people whom we know, people we, lo- people we love, things we love. And this suit of armor was apparently, uh, a, there, there's a, it has an interesting history. It was, it's, was part of someone's consciousness wave very, very uh, truly because it helped to preserve someone's life. And uh, that makes it kind of important to someone. And when that is there, that consciousness wave uh is is still there when someone else comes into possession of the object, moves it. Uh, perhaps it, it's um, put in an entirely different place. This is relevant because the consciousness wave uh, is still um, contains this object. And when other people's consciousness waves come into contact with it, there can be some dishevelment. Uh, there can be some lack of order and lack of regularity. So... It can uh, do funny things, perhaps with space time, which is really all simultaneous, and uh, it, there can be some disruptions. I remember uh, Ben, you, uh, you, this case was going on so long from 1998 up until uh, really a few years ago when the people moved. Uh, the case in Boroughville, Rhode Island, where you got involved later on and uh, yes. were able to study under the uh, Aztec shaman who was who was part of the case at that time. But long-running case, parasites were involved. And uh, it all began when the couple m- moved 
stuff out of their basement, particularly this table. And they say, aha, it must have upset some ghost. Well, no, 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 no. I don't think that that's how it works at all. It, it disrupted some consciousness wave. And there were collisions and, uh, there was some dishevelment and some parasites were attracted who were actually, one was actually attached to the land already and we've talked at length about that case. So I don't think it's about ghosts, I think it's about people. Yeah. That's essentially. So I know it's a hard concept but we can talk more about it in future shows. So thank you Chuck for writing in. Indeed. And who we got next there, Ben? We have uh, Shari from India. Uh, she writes to us. I heard both of you talking about the Marabharata and the Vim, uh, the Vimana uh, it talks about. I think your interpretation is right on, and many people here in India also think uh, this war of the gods really took place. Uh, do you think uh, this war took place all over the world? When was it, and was there more than one war? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I suppose we could, Ben, you can jump in here too, but sure. those we can start that all over the world, uh, pretty much every culture talks about what, for lack of a better term, wars of the gods. You know, somebody who had the ability to fly, or at least had machines that could fly, and uh, terrible weapons were, and th- this goes all the way back to the Bible with the stories of uh, Lucifer and the angels being kicked out of heaven and having a war among the angels, and then good and evil and all this business, uh, right down to the Mahabharata, the longest poem in the world, and the, the national poem of India, which talks about all sorts of crazy weapons being wielded by uh, lots of different gods, uh, and there were certain elements were called into play and weaponized, uh, such as we do today. Mm. And uh, the Vimana were aircraft apparently or, or that they used to fly and Ben you you have a friend from India who uh, told you about that yeah he was he was sort of you know one day we were having idle conversation I think we were or he was talking about how he was learning Sanskrit so he could read the Mahabharata and like the original um, like you know Sanskrit that's what you do yeah indeed and he was saying that he was like you know it's funny he was like there's a word called Vimana, and he's like, he's like, it's kind of, he's like, you know, it's what the the gods rode around on, and he was saying that, you know, we, he's like, we had a wing, like a word for plane before planes existed, like yeah. joking, and I was like, oh, that's actually kind of funny, but also kind of interesting that you know they refer to planes as you know the same thing the gods rode around on. Well, yeah, cause, uh, some time ago I did some actual research on the Indian Air Force for another project and uh, they do use the word in sanskrit they do use the word vimana for the the fighter aircraft that they are. so there you go uh but but not just india or the bible in the middle east uh it seems like all over the world uh, there were it, so uh, to answer the question sheree's question it does seem to be a global phenomenon uh one of the byproducts of that may be the similarity between legends and uh, architecture, sometimes religious symbolism, and even philosophies among different peoples in widely separated areas. Now, now, you watch a show like Ancient Aliens, which I which I I love to watch Ancient Aliens. I think it's 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 one of the better ones. However, you know, take some of the things with a grain of salt. Now, I walk into the living room there, Ben, and your mother is watching it. Uh, I f- she was never too interested in this, but now she's watching that. I find that uh, a bit disturbing. But nevertheless, I'm joking. But <laughs> nevertheless, uh, it, there are, there's all sorts of evidence of, of technology. But it could be interpreted in, uh, in other ways that sometimes they don't point out. But I think there is a lot to this ancient wars of the gods thing. And again, uh, it goes right back to uh, one of our early questions on this show. What uh, actually happened 
in the early days? What about the, the all these empty millennia in our history? Uh, why are there machine parts and other things seemingly found in ancient rock strata, things of this kind? Well, I think maybe this all ties in. You know, I, I think it's I think it ties into the modern attitude of how how we view the our, our predecessors, I suppose. That you know, most most people, you know, if you if you, they're like, oh well, they were just a bunch of savages. They were un they were unenlightened. They weren't very intelligent. You know, if they were smart, they would have iPhones by now. Huh. Like, I I think iPhone I think that zombies. Yeah, pretty much. I think that 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 would be you know, um, that's that's grossly modernistic, and I think it's unfair because. Mm. You know, our ancestors made the wonders of the world. They they built these insane cities, had really complex agricultural and economic infrastructures. You know, I don't think we give them enough credit. Well, even from the viewpoint of evolution, if our ancestors were stupid, they wouldn't have survived. No. They were very smart, very sharp, Mm. and that's because that's why they survived. Yep. Although, and you look at, uh, there's some jocular, well, sometimes not so jocular or cynical points of view today that we're in reverse evolution. Because people, everybody survives, whether they're smart or not, and the whole human race is getting dumber. I don't like to think that, and I think it's very cynical, but I have heard that opinion. Yeah, I've heard it too. Yeah, so, so the point is that, uh, you know, if, if you develop to a certain point in, uh, 100,000 years, which is very long compared with the existence of our civilization. Yeah. Uh, and you have a nuclear war. You, know, you blow everything up and everything goes back to the Stone Age. It probably wasn't that simplistic, but it could have been. Or, you know, you develop again, th- there's an asteroid strike. There's plenty of evidence for that sort of thing, too. Yeah. So th- this, this could have happened a number of times. Uh, m- many of the ancient peoples, such as the, um, I think of the, of the Hopi people in America here, uh, believe that this has happened four times. And uh, so, again, we are, I think, as, as Graham Hancock says, a species with amnesia. And I think it was global, and there were wars, among other things, natural disasters, and uh, in our very long and very little known history. Mm. No, I agree with that. So who's next there? Uh, we have Sarah from Texas, who writes to us, I heard you on Mis- uh, Mysterious Radio, and just curious, when you're going to Texas, uh, you were... Uh, Mentioning an airport, and we're all very curious. I wonder who the we is in this. I don't know. The entire state of Texas. I know that in Mexico, there's there's in Australia. I've been told anyway there are people who get who gather uh, to listen to the show live, despite the bizarre times and those. Uh, not so much Mexico, but uh, I mean that, that's very nice. So, so greetings to all of you folks. We appreciate you listening. Uh, however, uh, who the we is in Texas, I don't know. Now, this case really. Uh, is is under the uh, the the uh, benign uh, auspices of uh, our good friend Kathleen Martin, mm. uh, who works with MUFON, and uh, we all know who Kathleen is. We'll be looking forward to seeing her in the fall at a couple of the UFO conferences we're speaking at. And uh, the case in Texas does center around an, an airport, and uh, we. We don't like to give exact locations because people go and make pests of themselves. And uh, it's funny. I, I see. I seem to have been called on the carpet this morning by someone who wrote into Facebook. I guess I glanced at that because uh, w- someone had asked where the Pennsylvania case is, and I said that's confidential. And uh, the person um, essentially suggested, not the, someone else essentially suggested that it was, that the word "con" was what figured in here. And um, we are very careful to be honest. I don't like being questioned by a total stranger who knows nothing about what we do or why we do it. Yeah. Uh, we don't make money at this, far from it, uh, usually just the opposite. 
and um, you don't get rich writing books about the paranormal or having a show like this. We no, it, no, not at all. We do it because we care about people. That's the way I was brought up. That's the way I was. Edu- that's what I took away from the seminary. Even if I didn't take much of the theology away, I took away. Uh, I like to think a sense of compassion that I passed on to my children. I hope. So that's why we do this. So uh, that's so that's the reason why we are not telling everyone where these things are. Uh, in Texas particularly, we feel that uh, whatever we do in that case, we clear first with with, um, with, with our good friend uh, Kathy Marden. And uh, yeah, something's going on in the studio. You better check it out, Ben. I'm getting attacked by Bigfoot or something. So uh, we do tend to be careful with that. And uh, our first priority is protecting people's anonymity. And this is only just beginning and uh, again, we're under Catherine's guidance on Kathleen's guidance on this. So that's really about all I can I can say about that. Um, the airport is not uh, a major international airport; it's just a small one, so that we can put that to rest. Uh, what do we got here next, Ben? We have Ray from Florence, South Carolina, and uh, Ray writes to us, Paul and Ben. I love your new book on cryptids. Paul, you said uh, you felt privileged uh, during your. Uh, Bigfoot sighting, but, but Shane didn't say how he felt. Shane is not here, so he can't answer that Yeah, question. well, that's it, so <laughs> I have to hold that off. But uh, do you think it ran away because it, it uh, ch- chased his truck? Well, he chased it with or his truck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not going to answer for Shane. We'll wait. To, we'll save that question for next time. But Shane did uh, has reported that he saw a large black furry figure between two trees about a hundred feet away, and he thought it was a bear because there are lots of bears. And he uh, started up his truck to uh, go after it, and it it took off to its right. And the thing that that really shocked him was two long arms swinging back and forth, and the creature was on two legs, and three deer were flushed in the process. But we'll let him talk about that next time. Uh, on that, um, yeah, come to think of it, he. Uh, I don't think he has said on the air how he, he felt, but no, uh, we'll, we'll ask I him. I don't think so either, actually. When he's here next time. Okay. So uh, yeah, we have time for a few more. Uh, here's um, Mike from New York City. I don't think we got to these. Well, we're, well, we're actually getting, getting a lot done today. Yeah. Um, Mike from uh, New York City writes to us, Your multi-vice, multi-vice, bleh, multiverse Hopefully ideas are, are very interesting. Um, uh, but when you say that all things exist somewhere in the multiverse, how can death be impossible, like you say? You don't seem like you believe in spirits, but if all possibilities exist, can't there be spirits somewhere? Um, I love your can infinity get bigger question also. Oh, well, that's an excellent question. Uh, I, well, let's see. <laughs> that, that's almost like, like the time conundrum. If you go back and shoot your own grandfather in time, how could you be born? Because we, and we put that to rest because that's not how it works. In the quantum universe, uh, you just create another time stream. But uh, the idea that we wouldn't be able to conceive of it if it didn't exist somewhere or somewhere in the multiverse, you know, that, that all possibilities exist. And uh, we, we've approached that theologically. We've approached it from the viewpoint of physics. We've had guests on to talk about that. And we think it's really true. Uh, and it basically, uh, we sought those answers because when you see a ghost, it's, in our opinion, it's really not a spirit or a ghost uh, but you're looking at a person who uh, maybe died here but you're looking across a membrane to a world where the person didn't die and uh, is still sort of uh, frolicking uh, happily uh, through uh, life so uh, th- that's that's the fundamental idea behind uh, the paranormal as far as we know so the question is uh, if death 
really does not exist in the multiverse. Uh, my, my answer to that is in certain worlds such as the one in which we are conscious at this point, yeah, you go to funerals. You stand by the beds of your loved ones as, as, they, as they, they translate, as we say, as they pass. But is that really death? We don't think so. So we have the concept of it. It exists, but I don't think it's what we think it is. In other words, uh, when you die, we don't think that's... Well, saying that it's not the end really doesn't quite do it. But we often use the, the metaphor of a tree. Uh, you're the whole tree. And the body you have here is like one leaf falling off. So what? It doesn't mean a thing. It's um, th- There's some theories that we've discussed at UFO conventions and conferences with people who uh, are better at it than we are, who agreed essentially that that the con- they know this, whatever species uh, crashed at Roswell, if that happened or whatever, and the death uh, was sort of a minor inconvenience rather than the end. All right, because they had they realized that in many many parallel lives uh, they are still going on, and it's all them, and the consciousness is is a mass consciousness. So I don't know if that's clear, but I think that uh, yes, death exists right here. However, it's not death. Okay, it's only our limited understanding of life that gives us our definition of death. That's when you. I'm sure you can add to that answer. Well, I, I, I suppose I think I think the thing we need to keep in mind here is how you know we view death, especially you know in in our culture. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of interesting and albeit very naive spiritualities sort of a- appeared out of nowhere. Essentially, you know, the reinterpreting of what um, oh, what's it called? Uh, my my brain is just not working right now. Um, well, we got plenty of other questions. No, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to recall what it, what it's called. Essentially, you know, you're born. You're born again. Ever after after you die, you immediately get born into whatever other form. Um, well, that's the reincarnation. Reincarnation. Though. That's the word. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't remember that. You know, the reinterpreting of reincarnation. Uh, pardon the alliteration. Essentially, you know, uh, comes up with this view of death that's like, well, if I die, I mean, you know, that that's it, done, finito, boom, gone. So, I mean, the idea of death, I think we can't even begin to understand because we barely understand life itself. So, I think, I think it's a good question to ask that, oh, well, if it's, if it's impossible to die, I think the question is we need to understand what death is first before we answer the question. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That, that sort of maybe adds to what I said, I think. Yes. All right. So, uh, well, that's, um, I wanted to get, uh, there's an email question here from, from our good friend Phil from Orange, Massachusetts, who, uh, I believe listens live, and he's got three questions here. Um, we can probably th- get to one of them. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I think I missed the lead to your Pennsylvania story. Was the driver for your investigation solely a Bigfoot sighting? And if so, why would a garden variety Bigfoot sighting justify an investigation unless there's more to the story? Well, they're, they're definitely, for any for Phil or anyone else who hasn't uh, heard the full story on this, there is plenty more to the story. Uh, we, as uh, these flap cases often begin with one person who's read one of our books contacting us saying, we think we've got something here that you might be interested in. And uh, very often, they, as in the case of the Litchfield, Connecticut area or this Pennsylvania area, the, the, the case goes way back 
to archaeological events, Native Americans and things that have happened to people who have lived there for many, many years. In the Pennsylvania case, uh, Bigfoot seems to be a major theme of people's experiences there, but also there are very strange lights. Uh, there are shadow people reported, and I was very happy to hear on this last trip uh, from uh, the person in uh, the house where the primary shadow people events were occurring, uh, that, uh, and this is good old Shane, uh, moved in there, not move in, but he, he went in and, 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 uh, took some action in this case. And the large, really scary shadow person has never been seen since. And, uh, Shane has a tremendous record of helping people in this regard. Uh, but, th- so it's not just Bigfoot, there are all sorts of things going on, as would happen in flat areas, seemingly unrelated paranormal events like ghost phenomena, a little bit of poltergeist activity, some bi- a lot, quite a bit of Bigfoot activity, other cryptid scene, military involvement. These are all the ingredients that we look for at the beginning of a case. So that's why we're uh, working on that case, uh, Phil, and why we're uh, proceeding uh, to uh, the next steps as we go. Um, Second, this is Phil's uh, second part of the question here. Second, are there any metrics, even vague metrics, which scientific investigators such as yourselves use to define a triangle. I've read that there is nothing unusual about the rate of anomalies in the Bermuda Triangle, but I've read that there is a Vermont Triangle known as the Bennington Triangle, not far from my area. But what has to happen for recurrent flaps to qualify uh, an area for triangle status? Well, I would just say that, as we've said a number of times, that this is an arbitrary designation by us because you have to start somewhere and you have to get a handle on it. we only know of cases like there. There have been, for example, uh, 318 up to 2012 uh, ghost reports in the Litchfield Triangle that we know of. How many people? You know, are, there's there's no real figure on this, but we estimate that probably three quarters of people who have experiences don't report them because they don't know who to whom to report them, and they don't even know what to say because they're afraid people will think they're crazy. So it is. The whole triangle thing is is pretty arbitrary as far as we know, but it gives us a center from which to work. Uh, the the 1793 farmhouse in the Torrington, Goshen, Litchfield area in Connecticut has been the center of our operations there since 2005. It's slow, plodding work. You have to go through, there's a lot of drudgery. You have to go through police reports and and. and Talk to people when you can talk to them. Try to have neighborhood meetings, which we've never been able to do in this area. Now, as opposed to the Pennsylvania area, where we got in fast enough, to, we've had two neighborhood meetings there, and we keep getting earfuls from people. Um, it's, it's, con- keeping control is, is difficult because of the, of the nature of this. Uh, these phenomena are not predictable. It's, we're not working in a lab here, and we are not scientists, which is why we work with excellent people like Mark D'Antonio, a real astronomer, uh, people of this kind. Uh, so we, we do the best we can, and we gather data, and, and we try, but it's, it's necessarily going to be incomplete. So it's a very imperfect process, and we're trying to improve it. But it's an excellent question, Baby Phil, steps. and thank you. And hopefully we'll be seeing you. Uh, we have met you at the UFO conferences, and we hope we'll see you this fall. So thanks for writing in. Okay, I guess that's about all we have time for right now, Ben. And so why don't we get to our announcements? Alrighty. Um, all right. So first of all, uh, okay, yeah, Shane is not here, so this is part of the script. So he can't tell us about himself. Uh, anyway, our new, uh, but I, we would refer to uh, his 
site, uh, trueghost.com. Uh, very interesting stuff. Shane, Shane is just terrific. Um, our newest new book, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, in which Shane and Linda Godfrey, uh, who was on our show last week, both figure prominently, is available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle, and, you, uh, and we will have copies available for sale at all our forthcoming events. Already, if you can't get one of the uh, get to one of our events, and you would still like an autographed copy of any of our books, uh, you can get them at our online bookstore at behindtheparanormal.com. And our 2016 book, uh, the one before this one, Behind the Paranormal: Everything You Know Is Wrong, first in the series, is in most bookstores. And if they don't have it, they can certainly get it. It's also available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and all the other online retailers. And again, you can get an autographed copy uh, at BehindTheParanormal.com if you order directly from our show site. Uh, I couldn't be there, but my dad had a great presentation and book event on Thursday, July 27th at the Prospect Senior Center in Prospect, Connecticut. There was a large and engaged crowd, and many thanks to Lucy, the Senior Center Director, for organizing the event, and to Lori, our casting producer, for handling the book sales in my absence. Yeah, we were... um I was shocked by the tremendous. Uh, people told me, don't say that because it diminishes you. But I'm always grateful when people come to our events, and especially when they're an engaged, uh, engaged. Only audience. when I'm not there. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we've, you know, will you be there next time? Uh, speaking of which, our next event will be Labor Day weekend, September third and fourth. Uh, at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire, a great annual event uh, with benef- which benefits local children's charities. Our subject on Saturday will be flap areas, UFOs, and the paranormal on steroids. On Sunday, for the second year in a row, we'll do our live show from the Exeter Town Hall with a panel of the speakers, including Travis Walton of Fire in the Sky fame, uh, the great Kathleen Martin, Denise Stoner, and more. Uh, find out more at ExeterUFOFestival.org. And there's another UFO conference being contemplated for late September in the beautiful White Mountains, and we'll let you know as soon as we have any details on that. And on Saturday, September 30th, we'll talk about strange connections, UFOs, cryptids, ghosts, and or and ghosts in Western Connecticut and beyond in the uh, Brandywine Living Center in Litchfield, Connecticut, and uh, that was where the talk will be held. You, you, that is at the heart of the Litchfield Triangle. You can RSVP to Nanette eight six zero. Uh, 567-9500. Then on October 7th and 8th, I should say 6th and 7th, we'll be back at the Greater New England UFO Conference at City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts, certainly one of our favorite events of the year. Uh, Our subject will be the Fur Flies, Bigfoot, and UFOs. And then the following week, uh, we'll be speaking at the Western Connecticut UFO Conference at Danbury Connecticut Library, along with Linda Zimmerman, uh, Rosemary Allen Guiley, and other legendary researchers. On Saturday, October 28th at 1 p.m., we'll speak at the Portsmouth Public Library in New Hampshire. Stay tuned on that one. Finally, November 4th to 6th, we'll appear at the Peri-Unity Conference uh, in Felsmere, Florida, to, so watch for more events, uh, more information on that. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, Behind the Paranormal Case Files, and we'll, get, we'll be get working on some more productions relatively soon, now that we, we are out from under deadlines and such. Or relatively close to that, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll get more content up there as soon as possible. Never out from under deadlines. Eh. Anyway, uh, so uh, for the local audience particularly, we point out a great book called UFO Repeaters. Now we didn't write it, but it's published by our good friend Tim Beckley, who's been on the show. Uh, matter of fact, he was on this station with our good friend Joe Ferrier fifty more than fifty years ago. Now we're hoping to get Tim back, but uh, he's the uh, head of global uh, communications publishing, and UFO Repeaters has a whole chapter on Joe Ferrier. Uh, uh, the late Joe Ferrier, who was a uh, terrific talk show host on this station for 50 years. So next Sunday, what do we got, Ben? 
Next Sunday, August 6th, we will welcome author and folklorist uh, Varla Ventura uh, on the weird subject of fairies, pukas, and changelings. <laughs> we'll leave you this afternoon with a quote from 20th century Scottish theologian William Barclay. There are two great days in a person's life, the day we are born and the day we discover why. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And Shane Searway is not here, so thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.